0: Folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number sixty-eight of the Confessions of an Arcade Attic podcast, also streaming live on Twitch. Okay, uh, let's see. To get you caught up to speed, since uh, episode sixty-seven, which I recorded about a month ago, uh, just basically the same old things have been going on. I've been working a lot, um, playing games when I can, you know, taking care of you know the household and Looking after my son, of course. Um, the good news is, is that it's October 1st, so in about three days' time, a little less than three days' time now, um, actually closer to two days' time, I'll be going on the, the uh, Con- vacation to Connecticut. So that's going to be awesome. You know, I'm looking forward to this. I've been getting in touch with family members and friends and you know saying hey i'm gonna be here from this date to this date you know can we meet up and you know have a coffee and just sit down and talk for a little bit or whatever um some uh meetings i'm definitely looking forward to others not quite so much um i'm looking forward to meeting and seeing uh members of my family who I haven't seen in oh goodness like I haven't seen some of them since what 2005 so I'm going to um you know try to get a hold of people and you know while I'm here I'm going to be making phone while I'm there I should say I'm going to be making phone calls and saying hey I'm in town for a few days you know would it be okay if I came over and, you know, we talked for a little while or whatever. I mean, I've got to get a hold of my stepfather. Um, I've also got to get a hold of my, uncle, my uncles and aunts who still live in Bridgeport or close to it and just getting a hold of them and, you know, just, you know, catching up, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm pretty sure that my aunts and uncles want to meet my son, And I think when I come back, maybe in a year or two, um, you know, that's when uh, they'll meet him. You know, I'm really keeping an eye on Marcus's development and a plane ride might be a little too much for him to handle. So that's the reason why I didn't bring him on this one. So we'll see. Of course, um, the big thing in regard to the podcast is that I'll be going up to Funspot on that Sunday. The Sunday, which is what, the 9th? No, the 8th. The 8th of October. I'm just basically taking that day and earmarking it, and I'm going to go up there and see what's what. Um, I have been told by streamers... Shout out to, uh, Falkor781, um, that just like Galloping Ghost, because they have so many machines in Fun Spot that, um, the maintenance level is not what it should be, he told me that himself while he was there streaming live on Twitch, I think about a year ago when he was up there, maybe like two years ago, It's like a year or two, something like that, um... And he told me himself that, you know, some of the games aren't maintained the way they should be. And it was disappointing to him who, and if you didn't know, Falcor is a pretty much a video game expert. I haven't seen him stream a game where he hasn't either mastered it through constant plan screen, or he's been good at it from the start. I mean, he's a Mr. Do master. You know, I think I'm pretty good at the game, but he is just on a completely different level with that game. And I mean, I've seen him put up, like, five hundred, six hundred thousand 600,000 points on Mr. Do, and I think my high score on Mr. Do is, like, just shy of, like, 400,000 or something like that. Um, I'd have to look in my uh, little... Missile Command uh, notebook that I bought from Amazon a couple years ago. I have, like, my up-to-date, all-time high scores uh, on video games. The stuff that I remember putting up, uh, the stuff that I've put up since, like, you know, 2.036 million on Star Wars, or 375,000 on Tempest, and things like that. So... um. Yeah, I'm going to be bringing that notebook with me when I go up there, because, you know, who knows what may happen, or what may not, for that matter. But anyway, um, aside from that, it's just the same old thing. I'm trying to get a streaming schedule going. It's just tough sometimes, because, um, as you all know, I work four jobs, and streaming is becoming a fifth one even though i'm trying not to have that mindset because if i have that mindset i'm not going to be you know streaming for sharing my enjoyment of games and things like that that i don't want it to become like a regular job just yet or at least not to let it become a regular job until it starts paying like a regular job you know what i'm saying (laughs) so anyway that's pretty much what's going on um i've checked emails and voicemails and nothing's out there so once again if you have any thoughts comments questions about anything that's gone on in the past 67 episodes uh is there a game that you like that you would like me to cover give the um are you experienced slash uh, time for some strategy treatment? Please, by all means, get a hold of me. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. Also, there is a f- uh, phone number for voicemails, and I promise you it's not going to change anytime soon, as long as I'm paying the bill to Xfinity, that is. Uh, the number is 734 632 0832. Also, uh, social media is up and running and ongoing as always. Uh, let's see, on Facebook, just go search Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. If you type in Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, uh, it will take you to the discussion group. On uh, I'm still on Twitter, although I'm trying to find an alternative right now. And I haven't had much time to devote to that, but uh, my Twitter account as of right now, uh, October 1st, it's still up. So... Uh, my uh, nickname on Twitter is arcadeaddict_b. underscore B. On Instagram I am ArcadeAddictBrian and Tumblr is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So there you go. Multiple ways of getting hold of the show and if you have any sort of questions or comments or anything like that as long as you're nice <laughs> we all, I always have to put that caveat in there because some people on the internet don't know how to give constructive criticism without sounding like a jerk. Uh, you know, so as long as you're nice, hey, you know, if you got something to say, positive, negative, neutral, indifferent, you know, enthusiastic, whatever it is, you know, hey, let me know. We'll talk about it. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get on to the show. I've got a short show today. I've got three topics. i got two uh, topics on one on a game, one on home, a home system and there's an on the road segment at the end so let's get right on to it are you experienced i'm too old for this hiding in front seats like a teenager oh but i think i'm getting too old for this stuff. i'm getting too old for this listen you was born too old for this i'm getting too old for this you're getting, getting too old for this lying red arse to chasing other men's cattle i'm getting too old for this sort of thing maybe we are getting too old for this what do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. No, we're, we're not, not too old, old for this shit. We're not, we're not too, too old for this Say like you believe. We're not too old for I'm this not shit. not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cut. We're not too old for this shit. Okay, are you experienced? Run and Gun. Yes, this is uh, a game that I discovered when I, shortly after I moved to Orlando, moved in with my roommate. And, you know, it was a fun game, but just like all Konami basketball games, yeah, it has its drawbacks and its flaws. And the quarter-eater aspects are still there, but still. Um, I lo- tried looking up information on Wikipedia, and I didn't find any. They had more information about its sequel, Run and Gun 2, uh, which was released, what, three years after this one? So um anyone who was watching my stream or who is watching my stream they saw me uh basically type a little mini description of the game from scratch and I'm probably going to post that on uh, wikipedia after I'm done uh recording tonight so here it is Run and Gun is a basketball video game released by Konami in 1993 This was seen to be the sequel to Double Dribble, which was released in 1986, which itself was a sequel to Super Basketball, which was released in 1984. This game is somewhat unique in that it was a game that featured a dual monitor setup. Up to four players can play. In this game, you choose a pro basketball team in a tournament-style competition. There are 16 teams to choose from, San Antonio, Houston, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Oakland, Portland, Salt Lake City, and Seattle in the Western Conference, and New York, Chicago, Orlando, Boston, Cleveland, Detroit, Charlotte, and Atlanta in the Eastern Conference. Play starts off with a tip at center court, and you are in control of your selected five-man team. Controls are an eight-way joystick and three buttons. One button is to shoot the ball, or to jump to block a shot, or to rebound a missed shot when playing defense. Uh, One button is to pass the ball or attempt the steal when on defense. And the third button is to switch players. There are jump shots, dunks, three-point shots, fadeaways, and alley-oops. The object of the game is to win by scoring more points than your opponent when time runs out in the fourth quarter. Each credit allows for one quarter of gameplay, which is four minutes in length. And that's what I wrote. <laughs> um, I could probably find some more if, uh, information if I did deep digging, but from the level of digging I did, there wasn't that much. Um, it was just bare-bones descriptions, you know, no real in-depth description of the game or the teams involved, and I could have done that tonight, but I want to get some sleep tonight, (laughs) so I will just hold off there. I mean, I can probably come back at a future date and do a more in-depth analysis um, and post it on Wikipedia, so that's what I'll probably end up doing, but for tonight, this is all that I was able to find and what I was able to research by playing the game for a little bit, so there it is. Uh, Let's move on to my experiences with it. I think I first encountered this game at the Fun Machine in Castleberry in 1993 when my roommate, when my roommate and I first started going on arcade runs. Uh, it only made sense that Konami made this game because they had built a reputation for f- sports games in general throughout the 80s. Uh, I found the end court camera perspective different since a lot of arcade basketball games usually like usually used the sideline or top-down view. The action was pretty good, and I liked the single-elimination tournament style as well. But as was the case with Konami basketball games, the CPU would come storming back if you built up too much of a lead, getting every rebound, block shot, and steal that it could while dunking on you and making every shot at the other end. It was still fun, but it was just as much of a quarter-eater as NBA Jam was, if not more so represented teams in the tournament were more or less accurate to their NBA real-life counterparts back in those days. Uh, The Chicago team, for example, was strong at shooting guard and small forward, just like the Chicago Bulls were in 1992 to 1993. All in all, it was a fun game to play, but you had to know what you were doing to make it out of the first quarter. By this time, most most games were either true tests of your gaming skill, straight-up quarter eaters, or a combination of the two. And that's Run and Gun. Um, A little bit of information and my experiences with the game. Um, If you played Run and Gun, uh, and you have some information you would like to share, maybe some tips and tricks, that kind of stuff, hit me up. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay, from there, let's move right on to Home Systems. There's no place like home. Game, Max. Screw you guys, I'm going home. Shall we play a game? Love to. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I'm going home! Home Systems. The Magnavox Odyssey 2. Huh, this one. I mean, I've got my thoughts on it and I put that at the end of uh the segment, so I will get to that in a moment, but I'm going to go back to Wikipedia, and I'll give you a little bit of information about the system. So here we go. The Magnavox Odyssey 2, stylized as Magnavox Odyssey with a small 2 at the end of the word Odyssey, uh, also known as the Philips Odyssey 2, is a second generation home video game console that was released in 1978. It was sold in Europe as the Philips Video Pack G7000, in Brazil and Peru as the Philips Odyssey, and in Japan as the Odyssey 2. It was one of the five major home consoles prior to the 1983 video game market crash, along with the Atari 2600, Atari 5200, Intellivision, and ColecoVision. In the early 1970s, Magnavox pioneered the home video game industry by successfully bringing the first home console to market, the Odyssey, which was quickly followed by a number of later models, each with a few technological improvements. I'll have to look this up because I'm interested to see how that went. Um, To continue, in 1978, Magnavox, now a subsidiary of North American Philips, decided to release an all-new successor, Odyssey 2. In 2009, the video game website IGN named the Odyssey 2 as the 21st Greatest Video Game Console out of its list of 25. Okay, let's move on to the design. The original Odyssey had a number of removable circuit cards that switched between the built-in games. With the Odyssey 2, each game could be a unique experience with its own background graphics, foreground graphics, gameplay, scoring, and music. The potential was enormous, as an unlimited number of games could individually be purchased. A game player could purchase a library of video games tailored to their own interest. Unlike any other system at that time, the Odyssey 2 included a full alphanumeric membrane keyboard, which was to be used for educational games, selecting options, or programming. Macnavox released a cartridge called Computer Intro with the intent of teaching simple computer programming that is revolutionary considering this is 1978 (laughs) but to continue uh the odyssey 2 uses uh the standard joystick design of the 70s and early 80s the original console had a moderately sized silver controller held in one hand with a square housing for its eight direction stick that was manipulated with the other hand later releases had a similar black controller with an eight-pointed star-shaped housing for its eight direction joystick in the upper corner of the joystick was a single action button, silver on the original controllers and red on the black controllers. The game's graphics and packaging were designed by Rod Bra- Ron Bradford and Steven La- uh, Lehner. During the time of the Odyssey 2's manufacturing, some came with controllers that could be plugged and unplugged from the back of the unit via their DB9 connector, while others had their controllers hardwired into the rear base of the unit itself. Interesting. One of the strongest points of the system was its speech synthesis unit, which was released as an add-on for speech, music, and sound effects enhancement. The area that the Odyssey 2 may be best remembered for was pioneering fusion of board and video games. The Master Strategy series, the first game released was Quest for the Rings, which gameplay somewhat similar to Dungeons & Dragons and a storyline reminiscent of J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I think I played that. Um, Later, two other games were released in the series, Conquest of the World and The Great Wall Street Fortune Hunt, each with its own game board. Its graphics and few color choices compared to its biggest competitors at the time, the Atari 2600, Mattel's Intellivision, and the Bally Astrocade were its weakest point. Uh, of these systems, the Odyssey 2 was listed by Jeff Rovin as being third in total of sales and one of the seven major video game suppliers. Hmm, interesting. I can see that by 1984, they sold, yeah, 2 million units. Okay. Um, okay, market life uh, for the United States. The console sold moderately well in the U.S., Prior to the nationwide release of the Mattel Intellivision in 1980, that's not true, it was 1979, uh, the console video game market was dominated by the competition between the Odyssey 2 and the Atari 2600. Uh, It remained one of the three primary consoles from 1980 to mid-1982, though a distant third behind the 2600 and Intellivision. By 1983, over 1 million Odyssey 2 units were sold in the U.S. alone. To sell would-be customers on its resemblance to a home computer, the Odyssey 2 was marketed with phrases such as the ultimate computer video game system, sync sound action, true reality synthesization, on-screen digital readouts, and a serious educational tool on the packaging for the console and its game cartridges. All games, aside from Showdown in 21 AD, produced by Magnavox Philips, ended with an exclamation point, such as KC Munchkin and Killer Bees. No third-party game uh, appeared for the Odyssey 2 in the United States until a magic's Demon Attack in 1983. The lack of third-party support kept the number of new games very limited, but the success of the Philips Video Pack G7000 overseas led to two other companies producing games for it. Parker Brothers released Popeye, Frogger, Kubert, and Super Cobra, while Imagic also released Atlantis. Hmm, interesting. Okay, let's move on to Europe. In Europe, the Odyssey 2 did very well on the market. The console was most widely known as the Philips Video Pack G7000 or just the Video Pack although branded variants were released in some areas of Europe under the names Philips Video Pack C52, Radiola J- Jet 25, Schneider 7000, and Sierra G7000. Philips, as Magnavox's Dutch parent company, used their own name rather than Magnavox's for European marketing. A rare model, the Vi- Philips Video Pack G7200 was released only in Europe. It had a built-in black-and-white monitor video pack game cartridges are mostly compatible with American Odyssey 2 units, although some games have color differences and a few are completely incompatible, such as Frogger on the European console being unable to show the second half of the playing field and Chess on the American model as the extra hardware module could not work with the console. A number of additional games were released in Europe that never came out in the U.S. Really interesting. Wow. Okay, uh, moving on to Brazil. Okay, in Brazil, the console was released simply as Philips Odyssey, since the original Odyssey had had only a limited release by a local company, uh, Planil Comerico, under license. The Odyssey 2 became much more popular in Brazil than it ever was in the U.S. Tournaments were even held for popular games by, like Casey's Crazy Chase, which was called Come Come in Brazil. Titles of games were translated into Portuguese, sometimes creating a new story, like Pickaxe Pete, that that became Didi Namina Encantada, uh, Didi and the Enchanted Mind, referring to Renato Arago's comedy character and was one of the most famous Odyssey games in Brazil. Wow. Who knew about this stuff? Wow. Okay. Uh, And finally, we'll go into Japan. The Odyssey 2 was released in Japan in December 1982 by KOTAN Trading Toitati Enterprise, a division of Dingu Company under the name Odyssey 2. Japanese versions of the Odyssey 2 and its games consisted of the American boxes with katakana stickers on them and cheaply printed black and white Japanese manuals. The initial price for the console was 49,800 yen, which was approximately $200.00 at the time and it's equivalent to $610 in 2022 money. It was apparently not very successful. Japanese Odyssey 2 items are now very difficult to find. Interesting. And I just uh, pulled up a list of the Odyssey 2 games and they had 47 titles. I only played maybe about 4 maybe five of these titles but yeah i can see a lot of them and they even have them break uh broken down by the year they were released which is actually kind of cool but yeah that's the magna fox odyssey 2. let's move on to my experiences with it <laughs> limited as they were okay i'll admit to it i never owned or knew someone who owned this system all of my experience with this is this system was in reed's department store in the mall Reed's was a very good place to check out game systems and handheld electronic games. I mean, let's see. They had, at one point, they had, in the TV department, right along the walkway heading towards the toy department. I'm pulling all this from memory, mind you. Um, a glass case... Uh, of course, an area where the employees stood and when you wanted when when sales were made and stuff like that. But behind them, where there was like three TVs. If I remember correctly, one was an Atari 2600, one was an Intellivision, and one was a Magnavox Odyssey 2. They had those uh, games on display, and they would have games plugged in and running. Of course, I would play and play these games until the salespeople would come over and shut the systems down um i played a lot of games on the odyssey there i actually looking at that list i think there was like maybe 10 games on that list that i played um and i thought i thought at the time the system was smack dab in the middle between the 2600 and the intellivision better graphics and gameplay than the 2600 at the time but not quite up to the level of the intellivision A lot of the games that I saw were more or less clones of popular arcade games, and the controllers weren't all that great, but they were still fun to play. The system itself was pretty dang expensive at the time, so I knew I'd probably never own one, and it wasn't around for very long. Yeah, it pretty much started dying off, at least in my experience. I think interest waned in this, I think, after the ColecoVision came out in 82, because the ColecoVision just blew everybody away. That was a true third generation uh, video game system. That's right. It it just seemed to me that one day it was there and the next it was gone, but the Odyssey 2 still holds its place in history during those halcyon days. And that's the Odyssey 2. If you owned one, I definitely want to know what you know. So hit me up. Let me know what your experiences were. Arcade Addict brian at gmail.com And finally, we're going to go on the road. Uh, this was recorded on June 26th, 2021. Uh, this was like my second Saturday at the arcade. I think I was hired. Now I got to think about it. Um, yeah, I was hired on like June, um, June 19th, I think that I think that was my uh hiring day that was my first day at work um and my second day at work was the following week so I was I think I did a recording while I was driving home so let's get in the car let's take a drive and let's see what uh I had to say back in those days and I'll come back around once again with episode 69, and that won't be recorded until probably I get back. So I'll have some, uh, some interesting news and some stories, I'm sure. So you guys take it easy. Good gaming out there. Au revoir. my way home after my second shift at the arcade and kind of loving life at the moment. I mean it's one of these things where I feel like if I can't go to the arcade as often as I want to, this is the next best thing. And I get paid for it. So yeah, I'm I'm good. Yeah, um, you know, the shift was, it was a really busy Saturday. The first shift that I took, or first shift that I had, which was the week before the 19th, it was fairly busy, you know, fairly busy, but, um, the second shift was really busy. I mean, we had, you know, uh, Groups of seven a couple of times. Uh, groups of four a couple of times. Um, just a lot of people. You know, everyone was enjoying it. And Of course, you know, you know everybody was complaining about how, how hot it is in the arcade. We're like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we're working on that. You know, and things like that. Um, the games held up for the most part. And... And it's cool to talk to. I mean, she reminds me of my roommate when I first met her uh, back in 1993. You know, just same kind of energy. And, you know, it's cool to work with her. She's a real go-getter. She knows what to do and you know she's a go-getter but she's laid back at the same time she knows when to turn it on and when to just sit back and chill which is awesome you know most of the time when I'm working with or I know somebody who's a go-getter they don't know how to turn it off um so yeah she's really cool to hang out with real nice person um you know, it was pretty, it's pretty interesting, you know, everybody was coming in, playing games, you know, getting food from the, uh, the store across the way from us, um, you know, coming in with pizzas and so forth, you know, and going upstairs, having a nosh, then coming back down, playing games, going back upstairs to chill out, relax for a little bit before, you know, going back down. I mean, there are some people who are there like six hours, seven hours, eight hours in a couple of cases. And, you know, and we had like this, um, these older guys, I think they were brothers. You know, they were there all the way past closing. You know, we kind of had to show, you know, more, not show them the door, but more or less turn off the pinball machines around them. And, you know, that was pretty, you know, we had to tell them, hey, it's like, you know, hey, it's after 11 o'clock, we're closing now. So, yeah, it was cool. A um, couple of younger dudes came in. I had interesting conversations with them. You know, we're talking about games and talking about gaming, game companies. And, you know, then it went to Magic the Gathering. Then it went to d Then it turned to politics. <laughs> you know, but he's, you know, the guy that I was talking to was only 24, even though he had a beard that guys twice his age would be envious of. It was that glorious. Um, You know, the guy he respects, he respects the guy, the person that he's having you know, those rather difficult conversations with. So, you know, he was cool, you know, you know, I told him that, you know, I naturally mentioned uh, I'm not trying to overly plug stuff But, you know, I told them that Yeah, I've got a podcast You know, about classic video games I've been playing since I was like nine You know, actually eight, I should say Or even seven But, you know, I've been playing since I was a little kid And, you know, I just basically did this To get all the memories out of my head Which is true, you know it's just now it's starting to be, you know, having a modicum of success. There are more people, you know, listening and things like that, which is awesome. Um, so yeah, I told him, you know, and he's like, "Oh, you do?" And he's like, "What's David?" So I told him, and it was awesome. It was cool. You know, he actually searched for it on his phone after I told him, and you know. When he and and his buddy uh, left, you know, he he was like, it was an honor talking to you. I said, likewise, you know, and I meant it because it was nice talking to somebody who could have a differing point of view without, you know, going to the nuclear option because somebody feels a different way than you do. You know what I mean? So that was cool. And, you know, walked the floor a few times, took people's money, of course. You know, we, you know, uh, we did pretty well that night. And now, you know, now it's a, you know, chill out and you know, go do home care tomorrow. go do home care tomorrow. Um, and then do my night shift at the hospital, which is only like eight to midnight, which is fine, no big deal. Um, and then come home, chill out, and start the week. And start the week anew. I mean, yeah, I'm uh, working seven days a week now, but the good thing is, is that all of my shifts don't go past unless you know something goes on. It will past like four hours or five hours, so it's not that big of a deal as long as I get enough sleep the night before, and I'm actually making up a more concerted effort to go to bed a little earlier so I can actually get a good seven hours of sleep so that I'm not a walking zombie the next day, you know, while my son, you know, wants to play with me or go out and go for a bike ride or something, you know, that's pretty much what it is. Um, let's see, probably... I'd say probably next week. I'm probably just going to go up to the arcade and play games. You know, you know, just chill out with you know, chill out with Hannah for a little bit and go play games and come home and then you know go to go to work. I mean, they've already they're already asking me to uh, if I can take on an extra shift. You know, I said, well, as long as I finish, like, before, before, like, uh, 6 o'clock on a, no, before 6 o'clock, for, like, a 5 on a Friday, like, a 4.30 on Friday, and, like, a 7 o'clock on on a uh, Sunday, you know, I can do that, that's not a problem, I mean... It's not. It's not a really hard job, you know. I mean, it's mostly customer service. That's all it is, you know. You know, take their money, give them a wristband, and you know, tell them, say, hey, thank you, and have fun. That's all I did, you know, because I'm pretty sure that uh, the owner of owner of the arcade is, you know, pretty appreciative of, you know. Uh, people giving us business, I mean, especially now that things aren't locked down like they were, you know, now everybody's going out, and, you know, especially up in Brighton, oh my goodness, I mean, like I said, my other job, I'm in Brighton, and I drive through there, and I drive through the adjacent town of Howell, you know, five nights a week, and I see what people are doing, you know. And even before the restrictions got lifted, you know some of them were out, you know. But either way, um, you know, and like I said, it's just customer service. And you know, if anybody has, you know, questions or you know they have an issue with the game, you go and try to help them resolve it. And if the game isn't being cooperative, then you just uh, then you just. shut it off, and, you know, uh, leave a note for the tech, and hopefully they can fix it, um, aside from that, yeah, you know, it's an easy, relatively easy five hours, and yeah, I'm good with it, (laughs) you know, I'm happy doing this, you know, it's fun, and Hannah actually makes it fun, because, you know, she's a girl of college age, and she's really, really nice, and, you know, we're just talking about random stuff, we're coming up with ideas for the arcade, you know, I have, the funny part is that I bought a, um, like a Missile Command notebook, uh, from Amazon several months ago, um, basically, it's like a notebook with, um, You know, instead of it being lined, it's, um, it's, uh, gridded. So, you know, I just write stuff in. you know, I would write the, I didn't, I didn't even write anything in it until, you know, I got the bright idea last night. It's like, Oh, I can take this up to the, the arcade. And if I have an idea on how to make things better for the customers, I'll write it down. And then, you know, either I can just pass the note along to Hannah talks to the owner regularly or you know I can you know message the owner myself you know and see if we can implement some of those like one of the things we need to do is get the air moving in that place you know just to you know just to kind of lower the ambient temperature a couple of degrees that would change that would help the customer experience. Um the other thing is, is that Hannah came up with the idea, you know, on her own, but she suggested putting high scores, uh, of each machine on Instagram, you know, with the name of the person who did it, you know, and the date he did it. And it's sort of like how, what, uh, Galloping Ghost does. And I told her that I said, yeah, Galloping Ghost does this. I mean, I was thinking we'll just take, we'll just lift that idea from those guys and just basically put high score cards on each machine, like we'll, you know, tape it or fasten it to the, you know, top of the machine somehow and to where everybody, you know, the person, you know, can say, oh, the high score is this and it was set by this person on this date and so on and so forth. That's the idea. And we're going to do it with the classic machines first and see how that takes off before we do it with the pinball machines. Um, Because I did warn her that if we do it once, once we do this, um, it's going to bring out, you know, it's going to basically bring out a, a real competitive aspect to our customers' gaming experience, especially if they're any good at these classic games. I mean, if I really wanted to, I could probably set high scores in probably about 75% of those machines, you know, the classic ones. You know, we're not gonna do the modern machines yet. Like I said, we're just gonna do, we're gonna see how it works with the classic stuff first. And then we'll just go from there. So that's what we're gonna do there. And, you know, just try to do what we can to make the experience better for our customers. You know, because, I mean, I've already, I said it to Hannah and I said, this is already the best arcade in the state. And I said it to the guy I was talking to today, the, the younger guy. You know, I said this, I have, I've been around the Detroit area and I've been to several arcades and nothing touches this place yet. I mean, the only one that does is Marvin's, but that's for a whole complete different reason. So, you know, I, that's what I basically said. I said, this is the best arcade in the state and we should probably be doing some things to make sure it stays that way. Because, yeah, it's getting to the point now. And I told him uh, when I was in the discussion with the younger guy, you know, I basically said, you know, we know this isn't, you know, this is probably the best arcade in Michigan. You know, I haven't seen anything yet that touches it. I mean, Pinball Pete's is probably the closest, but you know I've spoken about that enough times I don't have to repeat myself as to why I don't think they are better than the arcade I mean once we get into a better space and from what I understand and what I've been told that our boss I mean our you know the owner of the place our the owner is looking for uh, a better place because yeah <laughs> there are certain issues with that building that we cannot overcome that's the problem you know we're going to try to mitigate some of the issues and I've spoken about those issues in arcade review when it came to the arcade before I was employed there and you know I was honest about what I felt about it you know it wasn't anything to be mean about or be hypercritical about when I, you know, when I put my reviews on Yelp back in the day, and when they improved, I certainly gave them kudos for improving the experience. But yeah, I mean, um, hopefully, you know, I'm thinking probably if, if it was me, if I own the place, probably 2022, next year, maybe, or even 2023, because, yeah, that's the only thing holding back this thing from being a true classic arcade, you know, it's just, we just need a bigger place with modern air conditioning, we get that, and yeah, the sky's the limit. I mean, if we get a good, uh, area, you know, get a good building, a good space and a good area, yeah, you know, there is nothing that can touch us in this state. And I honestly believe that I haven't seen anything yet. No, you know, there's nothing as far as I'm concerned, nothing west of, you know, nothing, uh, East of, you know, nothing, that can really touch us if we if we address these issues and I'm hoping that we do so soon you know sooner the better I mean I don't think it'll be anytime really soon because the real estate market is crazy right now really up you know up in the air right now like everything you know the trading you know not the trading but you know even retail has started to really escalate as far as prices go this is the fallout from the pandemic and you know we've got take that with me um and you know, now this is the fallout from it and now we've got to deal with it for a while until the markets settle and until that happens yeah i don't think we would find a really good location for a fair price right now because the market is just so crazy but anyway i've just arrived at home and now I'm going to go relax for a little while before I go to bed. So this is Brian saying, have fun out there, good gaming, stay safe, stay smart, au revoir. You have been listening to the Confession of an Arcade Edit podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by voicemail at hearing code 734 632 also, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictbryan at gmail.com. So until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.